Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Wonderful to be together in the house of the Lord this morning and to see everybody. The gathering of the house of the Lord is a pivotal part of growth in God. The early church, it says of them that they continued. How? What's the key word? They continued. People often say to me, we must get back to the church of Acts. Um, if you want to want the power of the church of Acts, you must get back to the profile of the church of Acts. Their profile was they met steadfastly every single day. This was every single day. Continuing in four aspects. Apostol- apostolic doctrine, breaking of bread, prayers, and fellowship. Okay? And so I'm glad that you came this morning. Amen. I want to just, in essence, wrap up the main segment of sowing and reaping today. And uh, next week, uh, I will speak to a specific aspect of the concept of sleeping and harvest that is very practical in nature. But I thought we left off last week's sermon highlighting a particular expression of sleep in harvest without perhaps giving resolution to it. Now, the Bible says in Proverbs 10 verse 5 that he who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. And last week, We unpacked the scripture quite intensely, and I encouraged you that sometimes many people don't come into harvest after having sown. You have sown, but you're not harvesting. Perhaps it's because you're sleeping in a season called harvest. And I gave you six applications, or five I think, applications of what the Bible means to sleep. Um, For example, sleep indicates death, we said. Uh, I taught last week specifically how that sleep indicates carnality. Uh, Sleep indicates indifference to spiritual reality. Something could be very significantly happening in your time and in your world, but you could be asleep to that reality, right? Unaware of the times and seasons. Sleep could also indicate prayerlessness. Remember the disciples slept? What did Jesus say? Sleep on when he asked them to to pray. And for example, you read scriptures on prayer like, watch and pray. Don't be asleep, but be be vigilant. Okay, so sleep has many references or applications in the New Testament. One specific one that I think really hinders a person from from harvesting after having sown is when the person heals to unrepentant carnality. Even after having sown financial seed, And how that will prevent your harvest. And I I don't want to go to the the reasons that we unpacked this last week, but you must get last week's teaching. It's on the website, but you'll get it on the CD as part of the complement of of teachings next week. Part of the reason is, is this. The money is never divorced from you. The money represents you. So the seed represents the, the seed sower. Okay? Money is, has a, representational dynamic to it. And right at the end of the session, I proved to you 
that it actually is an indication of your righteousness. Hence, we read a bunch of scriptures which say that even after you have sown, not only will God bless you with a financial harvest, but Paul taught in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, they will even increase the harvest of your righteousness. Okay? So it has a representational dynamic to it. So then, if when you sow, it's not thoroughly representative of the image of God in you, remember, give to Caesar that which is Caesar's, but give to God which is God's. They said, shall we pay taxes? He said, whose image is on the coin? If the, the image of Caesar is on the coin, the coin's destination is Caesar. But he also said, give to God that which is God. And I, I laid this out for you last week, how that when you give, what your, the image of God, which should be reflected in your person, should be reflected in your money. For example, two incidences in the Bible where Elijah, Elijah refused the offering of Naaman. Remember, Naaman wanted to bless the guy usually. He said, no, because what you are giving is not reflective of a changed heart in you. So you cannot buy favor with God. Okay? The example that I am most interested in, and we unpacked this last week, was Cain's example. How can God refuse an offering? And we often don't think like this, eh? That God can refuse an offering. Yeah? Here the man offers, and God says two things about him. The Bible says he doesn't regard the man, and he doesn't regard what the man gave. So the man can give, but no harvest. Listen carefully. And the Lord had no regard for Cain and his offering. Not the offering first, but the man first. If the man is accepted, his offerings are accepted. Right? So the offerings become reflective of the image of God in the man. But Cain's image of, the image of God in Cain was marred. Why? He killed, he killed his brother Abel. And what was the judgment of God on Cain? God said to Cain, okay, try sow your seed now. Plant your seed. And God said this to him, no longer will the ground yield its strength to you. There's nothing wrong with the seed because seed is seed. But the potential of the seed to heal harvest was negated by the compromised image of God in the man. So what God was saying is not even the ground recognizes you. Because all of creation is waiting for what? For the, for the image of God, for the sons of God to emerge in the earth. So if image is dented, image is marred, guess what? processes and policies principles that god has installed into the earth don't function if they don't recognize image so the image of god in cain is dented or marred and god said to him you are farmer by trade and a farmer he was god said to him now try sow your seed the ground does not yield its strength to to you because the ground cannot recognize the image of God in you, the sower, even though the sower has sown seed, no harvest. Because what you've sown is not representative of the image of God in you. It's not about money. Tell someone it's not about money. Not about money. I want to get you successful. But I'm challenging you every time you give money of any kind to, to kingdom initiatives, to, uh, to, to the church, to servants of God, when you release that, you're releasing you. You're releasing your representation. And the potential harvest associated 
with the seed capacity comes to the fore when the seed is thoroughly representative of the sower. Okay? So every time I give, I must make sure the righteousness of God in me is never compromised. Otherwise, my seed becomes dented. Right? Now, if that is true, and I don't want to rehearse last week. We, we poured through tons and tons of scriptures regarding righteousness. Not so? That's not just morally upright. If I ask you, are you righteous? People will automatically say, yes, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't commit adultery, I don't lie. You start listing all the issues of morality. That is not righteousness. Those are outworkings of righteousness. Righteousness in both Greek and Hebrew is defined as compliance to a divine standard. Right? If God expects something, you must mirror or model it on the, on the earth. Once you become compliant with that standard, the fruit of righteousness will manifest itself in excellent morality. Not so? It will, it will outwork itself. Now, when you got saved, you came to Jesus and he forgave your sin. And you got saved not based on the works of righteousness, which you can do in your flesh. Not so it says there. But by his mercy, for by grace are you saved through faith in that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So I couldn't do stuff to earn salvation. Right? That's true, not so. But having come into salvation, the Bible says that he, Jesus who knew no sin, became sin for us, that we might become what? The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and that righteousness is imputed to you, and you could have done nothing to earn it. You simply had to believe. You simply had to confess your sins, receive Jesus, and boom! Righteousness was EFT'd into your life. God transmitted something. Boom, my righteousness in you. But now, I taught you from 1 John, having received this imputed righteousness, it must, it must now do what? Outwork itself in your life. So 1 John would say, who is righteous? But he who practices righteousness. So I encourage you then, seek now to become a righteous practitioner. Right? Outwork it. Work itself out. And you do it by good deeds. Right? Good deeds couldn't earn you the righteousness. Ephesians 2, actually, just put Ephesians 2, verse 8. It actually teaches this. Okay? This is like fundamental salvation. But let me just, sometimes we forget the, the very basic things. By grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of Carry on. Verse 9. Not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. For we are what? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. For what? Are you created for good works? But didn't the previous verse just say good works couldn't earn you it? It's not by works, lest any man can boast. So good works can't earn you it, but you got into the kingdom by receiving Christ. Righteousness was, e and the very reason why you were saved is that you might do good works. Not to earn it, but to, to, to validate the fact that you received it 
as a free EFT into your life. Right? The good works cannot earn salvation. But once saved, they demonstrate that you are saved. Right? So you are His workmanship created for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should do what? We should walk in them. What does Matthew say? Let your light so shine before men that they might see what? Your, come on, say, you know the scripture, that they might see your, your good works. You tell someone you've got good works to show. And let me just say, the only way to put the nature of God on display is by good works. It's not simply like charitable works to get a name for yourself, but you, you're, you're demonstrating the fact that, hey, there's a being, I'm his workmanship. And there's good works prepared beforehand that I should indeed Walk in them. Now let me just say this. Giving of any type is a good work that becomes an expression of your righteousness that you must definitely now walk in it. I want to just reread the text from, from last week regarding Cain in Genesis chapter 4 and verse, let's read from verse 3. Then I want to get into something to provide some answers came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord, the fruit of the ground, right? Is the guy doing something good? Yes, yeah, doing something good, right? And then, verse 4, Abel on his part brought also the firstlings of his flocks. So Abel gives a first fruit offering. And of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offerings. Just stop here, go to Hebrews 11.4. Come back here and remind you of something. Hebrews 11.4 says, by faith, offered, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained a testimony that he was what? Come on, say, he was righteous. How did he get the testimony that he was righteous? By what he offered. He, the outworking of his giving. This, you know, if you talk to Cain one day, one day I want to have a chat with the man, and say, I want to tease him first. Abel, are you Abel? <laughs> I was a brewer, I'm your other brother. I know we've lived centuries apart, but we have one father. How did this thing happen? Your brew gave an offering. God rejected the man. You give the offering. Nobody testifies about your gifts, but God stood up and God gives a. He obtained a testimony from God. Himself. God testifying about his gifts. Don't boast about your giving and don't let others boast about your giving either. Let God validate and boast about what you have done. You know what this says? Cain obtained a witness that he was righteous. In other words, you see, he was righteous before he gave. But what he gave validated the fact that he was, everyone do this. Remember I said to you, compliant to a heavenly, that he was compliant to a heavenly standard. Now, that's why you understand Paul's mind. When Paul encouraged the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And he says, he who so sparingly will reap also sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap also bountifully. Now he who supplies bread for food and seed will multiply what? Your seed for sowing. And he says, and increase what? And increase the harvest of what? Your righteousness. 
Giving is not about money. My, my thing I want to ingrain into you, giving is about righteousness. Tell someone it's the right thing to do. What I'm putting on display by my good works, the image and nature of God in me. You know what God's going to bless in the coming days? He's going to bless righteousness. For the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and, and joy in the Holy Ghost. I read a bunch of scriptures last week where I proved to you it says, And the righteous man gives, and the righteous man lends, and the righteous scatters, and he increases all the more. When last did you demonstrate that you indeed are righteous? By how you've given. Please listen to me, all of you. Have this mindset next time you administrate a tithe, a first fruit, or an offering. Say to yourself, this is a manifestation of the righteousness of God working itself out in me. I'm being compliant to a heavenly standard. God's going to respond and bless righteousness. Okay? Was Cain, get back to Cain, Genesis 4.3. Was Cain righteous? No. He offers his offering to the ground. And watch what it says in verse 4. Abel on his part brought the firstlings of his flock, their portions. And the Lord had regard for who first? And then the offering. Was the offering regarded first? No, the man was regarded first. Did the, man, did the offering validate the man? Talk to me. Did the offering validate Abel? Hey? No. He validated his, what in the order of things, it says, the Lord had regard for who first? For Abel, then his offering. His offering is accepted because he is accepted. Cain's offering is not accepted because Cain is not accepted. The offering does not, does not represent Cain. Okay? There's a, there's a disconnect there. Then in verse 5, it says, but for Cain and his offering, again, the man, then the offering, not the other way around. He had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. At this point, he should not have been angry. At this particular point. Right? He became angry and his face fell. The Lord said to him in verse 6, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? Watch. If you do well, will your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. But you must... You must master it. So God, it's like God is saying to him, Cain, I've rejected you and your gifts. The man's confused. God's saying, you are entertaining sin in your house. Right? Sin is crouching. Uh, I told you in the Hebrew, this is a predatory, the image is one of a predatorial, vicious like lion or ferocious animal crouching, waiting to pounce on an unsuspecting prey. God says to Cain, sin is like a ferocious predator that you've permitted because door indicates access. You've given access to your house by this and you show no inclination to deal with it. No desire to overcome it. Cain, you cannot be involved in willing um, devotion to sin and come and offer me stuff from the ground and think that your gifts are going to hoodwink me about your, your refusal to deal with that issue, okay? And so I challenge you then that 
God is after righteousness in our lives first before we offer Him the gifts that He has called us to give. Okay? He's offered righteousness first. And then in Malachi, this verse I never got to teach. Malachi chapter 3 verse 3. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them as gold. Why? So that they might present to the Lord what? Offerings in what? Offerings in righteousness. That is what God was after. Remember, if you know the book of Malachi, they say, these priests, we give, but you have not noticed. We've, we've tithed, but you've given no regard. God was challenging the righteous state of the priest. So he says, I'm going to purify you. I'm going to work on you. I'm going to purify you like uh, a silversmith would do, purify the sons of Levi, refine them as gold and silver, so that when they present offerings, those offerings are presented in, presented in, in righteousness. And so that is basically where we left off last week. The thoughts. Okay, I took a bit too long to summarize that. But I think it was necessary. Okay. Because sometimes we forget the basics. Okay. Now, what can we do about it? The point is we must cooperate with God in the process of our personal sanctification. Right? Cooperate with God in the process of our personal sanctification. I want to say this to all of you. You are right with God because you've been justified freely by His grace. Not so? But don't confuse justification with sanctification. The two things are different. God justifies you by His blood. You are right with Him. Your sins are freely forgiven. Okay? But now part of your growth in God is to comply with God with the sanctification process. Now, it's not left to you if you know how to deal with it. Because sometimes we face hard things to overcome. And it's a pity, I want to, if you want to make a note of this, in my series on the spiritual man, it's available on my website, I deal over three or four sessions with this very issue of how to overcome the flesh. What methodologies does the scripture provide if I had to sit Cain down? Cain said, let me give you a Bible study from a New Testament perspective. Things that can help you. This, 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 this vicious animal called sin at your door waiting to master you. And Jesus, what did God say to Cain? It's waiting to master you, but you must master it. And if you do well, you will be accepted. And if you are accepted, your offerings will be accepted too. Okay? Right? Um, people often, I've been challenged, why are you only teaching money? But come to the service. This is not about money, is it? I'm teaching you live a sanctified life and see the blessing economically when you do so. Right? When you do so. Okay? So one of the ways in which I teach in simply how to overcome sin would be by to understand the power of the grace of God. To understand the power of the grace of God. Now, I'm going to give you one or two scriptures. I can't give you all because... This was an extensive series. Again, I want to re-echo it for the sake of the tape as well. It's called The Spiritual Man on my website. There are audios and PDF text documents 
that you can access. I discussed seven or eight ways to overcome carnality, to overcome the flesh. And if anyone is serious about that in this week, listen to at least one of those sermons a day and build into your spirit man principles by which you can overcome the, the flesh. Because that's going to make you compliant with God in terms of the sanctification process. Right? You're being made whole progressively as you obey the Lord. One of the ways, just quickly, maybe just do two, is, is found in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26. Ephesians 2, Ephesians 4, 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your, on your anger. Do not give the devil and opportunity. Um, he, and notice what the next verse says. He who steals must no longer steal, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so he will have something to, to share. The word share is to give with the one who is in need. In the Old Testament, it simply said, do not steal. One of the Ten Commandments, do not steal. Every one of the Old Testament laws in the New Testament are amplified, right? In the Old Testament, it says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus in the New Testament says, if you even lust after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery, even not having, although you haven't committed the physical act, but you're harboring that thought in your heart, you are just as guilty. Not so? I could, could go through each one, but I won't because of time. My point is, every one of the model laws in the Old Testament, when it comes to the New Testament, the requirement is raised. So you might ask, they couldn't keep it then. They were even committing physical acts of adultery. Now in the New Testament, you're saying, I don't even have to commit it. I think it. I'm just as guilty as those guys. Rather put me back there. <laughs> and I'm saying to you, no, in the New Covenant, although the standard is raised, we have what they didn't have. The cross of Calvary, the blood of Jesus, empowers us to overcome sin. Not by the works of the law, which we couldn't keep, but by the reception of the, the grace of God, which I want to talk about in a moment. It's the main thing I want to empower you with. Because I, I want the Cain factor out of your giving. I want that Cain factor. Everyone say the Cain factor. I want the Cain factor out of you. So when you give any offering, it's given purely as a reflection of the righteous standards of God in you as a person. I never ever want anyone in this church to give anything and God's appraisal of what you've given, God says to me, Randolph, let me just use, let me use Keegan. God says to me, Keegan gave, but Randolph, I don't regard Keegan, and I don't regard what he offered. I don't regard Cain, and I don't regard what he offered. It's the man, then the, then the, then the offering. This verse says, go back, the previous verse, do not, okay, do not be angry, says the next verse. Put the New King James. Do not give the enemy an opportunity. Do not give place to the devil. I taught this to you. The word place is the Greek word topos. T-O-P-O-S. Topos. Everyone say topos. So we must not give the enemy topos. Do not give the enemy upper opportunity. What did God say to Cain? Sin is where? Crouching 
Where? At your door. It's not in your house yet. It is simply at the door, Cain. So before it enters your house, while it's at the door, master it. Lest it comes, lest it comes in. Right? So just I'm just thinking of something now. John, I think it's John 13, verse 2. Somebody had, while Quinton was busy, my mind was going on other things concerning Judas. During supper, the devil already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot of Simon to be. Now, when did, where did Judas get the idea to betray Jesus? From who? Who put the thought there? Right? The word heart there is thought. Some versions say a thought into his heart. Now, are you responsible for all your thoughts? Yes and no. No, because sometimes your thoughts are not innate to you. The thoughts are external by the enemy. I call these satanic insertions. The enemy comes and plants, eh? He has G Judas amongst the twelve, right? About to have supper with Jesus and, hey, let me just dramatize, right? I'm Judas, right? Which I'm not, I'm just dramatizing. Hey, nice child, eh? Pouring the drink. What about, should I betray this guy? Our master. He's thinking, huh? where did that idea come from? According to the text, who planted that there? My point is Judas opened his mind to be influenced by the domain of the, of the demonic. Not so. Right? So it is possible if you don't guard your mind for Satan to plant a, a thought there. That's why Paul says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, bringing into captivity what? Every, every thought, every imagination to the obedience of Christ. So what Judas should have done there and then is not ruminate, cogitate over the thought. You should have said, get thee behind me, Satan. I bring that thought to the obedience of Christ. That's not God. That's not in the nature of God for me to think that way. So next time you think thoughts that are not God, you take authority over it. You say, I know that's not me because I have the nature of the Son of God in me. That thought is alien to the nature of God. Satan is trying to plant the thought in me. But Judas's problem is, it was like Cain's problem with the sin at the door, but he let the predator into the room. Right? Go to verse 25 or so. Sorry, this is unplanned. So I'm just trying to find the scriptures here. All the disciples are sitting. They are dying to know who is the betrayer. Because many times Jesus would hint, one of you are going to betray me. Remember he said three or four times, one of you is going to betray me. Who was the disciple closest to Jesus? Jesus has got some closer to him than others. There were 12. There was the nine and then the three. Peter, James, and John were closer to Christ than the other nine. Of the three, Peter, James, and John, John was closest to, where was John's head? Always on his? On Jesus' bosom, interpreting the rhythms of the heartbeat of the Christ. Who wrote most, not most, of the end time revelation? The same guy was the closest. He wrote three epistles on love. We call him the love apostle. The disciple that Jesus loved, and he who loved the most was loved much 
and receive the greatest revelations of the end time of humanity. He was so close. Tell your neighbor, get closer. Get closer. Right? Just go back up to verse 24. So I want to demonstrate something here. This is like a detour. I don't know why the Lord is saying doing this, but listen carefully. I think it's going to follow his leading. I like this. Simon Peter jested to him. Go back one verse. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus, did Jesus love them all? Yes, but it says of John, Jesus loved him. Right? So G, John's reclining on, you know, if I would, come on, be honest, if you were one of the disciples, you would have got very jealous. <laughs> How come every time there's a supper called, this guy got the best place right next to the Lord. He's not even content with that. Where's his head? This guy sits like this. We're eating. Check that guy out. What's the problem here? Huh? Now, you know, Peter got a big mouth. You know Peter, right? Big mouth Peter. He pipes up. Hey, looking at this. But he's not jealous. Check what Peter says. So Peter jested to John. Hey, John. There's like sign language going on here. Tell us. Jesus to him and said to him, tell us who it is of whom he is speaking. Jesus is saying, someone's going to betray me. Peter doesn't ask Jesus. Peter asks John, hey, tune the body for us. <laughs> ask the Lord, who is he talking about? You have access, we, we don't, he's saying. You have access to certain secrets. Peter even recognizes John's special privilege. Yeah? So tune the body for us. Get some inside info. And tell us who's the betrayer. Right? I want to encourage you, don't be jealous of those whom God favors. Learn to deal with them. <laughs> if I see the favor of God, let's say on James, I'm not going to be jealous. He's one guy I want to really partner with because tune the bali for me there. Right? I, I, I want you or the... Yeah? Don't become envious or competitive. Respect the favor that God has shown on some and honor them, for that will benefit you, right? And then it says this, watch. So he, leaning back, you know John is cool, eh? He, John, leaning back, thus on Jesus' bosom, said to him, you know, I can, <laughs> some of you, if you were John, I got, I'm the key man here. He says, Lord, tell me who is it. Tell us. Be plain. You've hinted at this thing for so long. Spell it out. Talk plainly. Who is this guy? And then, what does it say? Jesus then answered, This is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. The morsel here is the sop. The morsel, the sop, was the best part of the meal. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took it and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. So Jesus says, look carefully, guys. Whoever I give this part of the meal to, that's the betrayer. The sop, it's called the best part. Listen carefully. You can eat the same doctrine and still betray the one who taught you the doctrine. It's not because you're eating the same meal. doesn't mean you would support the guy fully. Right? Judas was, and oh, by the way, everyone say thank God for Judas. Why? If there's no Judas, there's no cross. Was Judas was a necessary part of Jesus's. Destined, not him per se, but a betrayer, a betrayer, okay? He just opened himself 
to be used by Satan in that thing. Right? And then it says in verse 27, after the morsel, what did Satan do? Satan entered into him. Talk about total demonic possession. Go back to verse 2. It says, Satan entered into him and Jesus said to him, you know, Jesus said like had mercy on the guy. Jesus recognized Satan is fully into you now. Put you out of your misery. Whatever you do, do it now. Because he could see. This guy is totally demonic possessed. So go do it. Let's get over with this. I'm ready for my cross. Right? The point I want to illustrate is this. Verse, what does verse 2 say? What did Satan do here? Satan just put a thought into the heart. But in verse 27, Satan's entering the man. Be careful of the thought you entertain that is not God. Because the, the satanic thought you entertain could be a doorway for Satan to totally enter your life. Right? King Agag. Who was it? King Saul. Remember the, the battle with the Amalekites? What did God say to King Saul? Kill them all. Don't spare no one. Kill cattle, kill sheep, wipe out the Amalekites. Because God said to Saul, I will not forget what Amalek did to my people when they left Egypt. God says, I'm raising you as a king to deal with them. Saul went on the, on the warfare. He, he totally annihilated them. But what did he do? He kept back the best sheep. Remember? He coming back from the battle to Israel. What did the prophet Samuel say to him? What is this bleating of sheep I hear? And Saul said, it was the people who made me. Now let me just say this to you. You are responsible to obey God for yourself. Don't let the end of the day when you're now facing the judgment of God say, it was the people. Don't succumb to pressure and bow to people that push you on a path of disobedience. Tell your neighbor, you are responsible. You are responsible. Right? So, and what the Bible says, and uh, what did Saul also do? And Saul also said, I have spared also the king. Amen, you, you, didn't, you should have killed him more than anybody else because he's the authority. And he, he spared King Agag. Everyone say King Agag. Now listen carefully. Who would eventually kill King Saul? And Agagites. The thing that you don't kill when God says to you, kill it will later kill you. I don't know why the Lord is speaking like this. I am more, I'm more serious about sin. Tell you that we become serious about overcoming sin. Right? You think that little peep at the pornography now and then is innocent. It's going to do nothing to me. Be careful. The thing you allow, you muddy coddle, will raise up in strength. You see, if you don't kill it when it's at your door, it's going to enter your house. And then there's no turning back. And so when you are righteous before God, now when it comes to offerings, and you administrate your offering, it is done with a pure heart. I am telling you, the more we get our expressed righteousness right, in terms of our sanctification, doing what is right before God and honorable by His grace, you're going to see the commensurate power of God attendant upon our financial offerings. I've never seen these things before to the degree that I'm seeing it now. 
It's only been unveiled to me while we're teaching the series on finance. Yeah? This is not your typical teaching on finance. I'm concerned more about the state of the offerer than the offering. Because the state of the offerer will accentuate the power of the seed in the offering. Yeah? So if you go back to Ephesians, but can you see? Entertain the thought by Satan. Satan enters the life. And by the way, how did he die? He hung himself. And when he fell, his gut split open. All his bowels and intestines, the Bible says, fell to the ground. That's a spiritual indication of he could not internalize the bread. Bread is the doctrine that was given to him. Could not make it become part of his life experience. Ephesians 4, what did I say verse? Was it 26? Give no place to the devil. Remember, everyone say topos. Did Judas give topos to the devil? Yes. Did Cain give topos to the devil? Yes. Oh, by the way, I think maybe the Lord, please, I'm teaching as the Lord, I'm hearing the Lord. So, Do you know why the Lord brought Judas to our memory back today? Who had the biggest problem with when people gave offerings? In the New Testament. Same guy, Judas, could not handle the fact when he saw a woman break an alabaster box worth 11 months worth of wages and ministered that lavishly to the Lord as an act of worship. Had a serious problem with that. Right? Because of the uh, internal nature of his being. Okay. Tell you never give no place. Next time you're tempted to lie, May the Lord bring the scripture to your mind so forcefully. Give no place. Say it with me. Give no place. May the Lord remind you. You're tempted to go onto that pornographic side. May these words come to your mind. Give no place. Tempted to swindle the books. Cut corners here and there. May the Lord remind you of this word. Give no place. What did Jesus say of the devil? In John, I think it's John 13, he said, The prince of this world has come, but he has nothing where? In me. The word in me means in the Greek, nothing like him by which he could associate his nature with. When the devil scans me, there's nothing in me that's attractive to what he is like. Prince of this world has come, and he has nothing in me. And you know, everyone say it again, say opportunity. The devil only needs an opera. Remember what did, what did Sodom, what's his name? Lot. Where, how did Lot become involved in Sodom? After he left Abram, his grace carrier, remember? Where did he position his tent? He didn't go to Sodom initially. He simply positioned his tent toward it. So the thing he positioned his life toward swallowed him up into its culture. So by the time God sent the angels years later to warn him, his wife, his two sons and his two sons-in-law and their two daughters to leave Sodom before he destroys it. The Bible says, and the angels came to warn him, and he was sitting in the gates of Sodom. Only elders sitting gates, scripturally. So by this time he was a leader in a culture that he was, watch, he was disempowered to transform. How does Peter describe the soul of Lot? Come on, you know the Bible? 
The Bible says the men of Sodom, Peter writing in the New Testament says, the men of Sodom vexed, everyone say vexed, vexed the soul of what lot? Righteous lot. The man was righteous, but entertained and accommodated a context that he refused to overcome. They vexed his righteous soul. And his end was a cave committing incest with two daughters, producing two sons, Moab and Ammon, would eventually become two nations, the Moabites and the Ammonites, two nations that gave Israel the most problems in their journey in Christ. Where did it all start? He positioned his tent. I tell you, neighbor, watch where you position your life. Watch where you position your life. Yeah? Come on, I, I'm passionate that we must offer offerings in righteousness. Yeah? So right before God. Right? So master the predator at your door. Tell someone, master the predator at your door. I'm speaking to myself. I, I, I want to be so intent on living a pristinely pure life before God. Yeah? And the, the good news is there is grace for it. I haven't got to where I need to go today. I want to talk about how grace causes you to overcome sin. Maybe we'll do that next week. Right? And this next week's sermon could be very well part of the grace teachings or the kingdom economics teachings. Tell your neighbor it's all by, by grace. Titus, the text says, the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness. It's not about you. It's about the power of the grace of God. Uh, uh, please, just say, it with, say this after me. By God's grace, I can overcome. See, it's not left to you. If you understand the grace power, the enabling power of the grace of God in you, by that power, you can deal with that sin. Yeah? By that power, you can deal with that sin. The word for opportunity, like I said, is topos or place, and it literally means the following. Let me just quickly give you the definition. A post, an occasion for acting. How's that? And occasion for acting. So if you read this, do not give the devil and occasion for acting. Don't give him room. A condition. The Amplified Bible says, leave no such room or foothold for the devil. And when I taught the Spiritual Man series, Another word for topos is foothold. Everyone say foothold. What is a foothold to a rock climber, a mountaineer? What's a foothold to him? When he's climbing, is, are footholds necessary for mountaineers? Oh, those are. They look for footholds. A place to place the foot that holds the foot to give the mountaineer greater elevation or ascendancy. So don't give the enemy a foothold. Don't give him foot. Sometimes the most ludicrous of statements are the most lasting in terms of the impact. So tell your neighbor, don't give the enemy foot. But don't give the enemy foothold. Right? Don't give the enemy a place from which he can gain further ascension into your life and so wreak, wreak havoc in your life. Amen. Are you asleep? Spiritually, I'm saying you are. If after you've sown, you're still engaged in willful carnality without any inclination to deal with it. Ephesians 5.14. So a lot of this is simply spontaneous, so I'm just telling the Lord. For this reason, it says, I like this. Awake, sleeper. 
awake and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. When Jesus said to Lazarus who was dead, Lazarus come forth. A dead man could obey God's word. How about you? My point is this. Whenever God's, you know, um, I like to say it like this. Please note this down or write it as a principle in your mind. The word of God is both, it carries two things. It carries an expectation of God and simultaneously the empowerment of God. So when God, Jesus said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. The next verse is, he who was dead came how can a dead man who cannot hear anything, ever you spoke to a dead person? So that tells me the power of the command. The power of the command can speak to something dead and give it life. It's a command, it's expectation, but in the command there is empowerment. Everyone say expectation. Say empowerment. Right? I say similarly to you who are sleeping in sin. This verse says, awake, sleeper, awake, sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. If you understand this, receive this in your spirit. You are battling with sin. I say to you, awake by the authority of God's command. I speak to you, awake. From your sleep, you cannot afford to sleep when you should be harvesting. And Christ will shine on you. The command of God is both the expectation, and He doesn't, when He expects something from you, doesn't leave it to you. He says, if you understand my word, in my word is my empowerment for you to do the thing that I'm asking. That's grace, which I'll talk about next week. Yeah. So it's not left entirely up to me. I'm responding to a command. The moment I incline myself, grace comes, and grace causes me to be oh, obedient to the same. Amen? <laughs> Come on, lift your hands to the Lord. Oh God, that you would purify the sons of Levi, that they might offer you an offering in righteousness. There's nothing that God expects of us that He doesn't also simultaneously empower us to do. Such is His grace. Such is His power. He doesn't leave you entirely up to you to do. He says, but I will. And I hear that command. Please, guys, I hear that command. God's saying, those of you who are asleep when you should be harvesting, as we go into this week of fasting, awake from that, from your sleep. You're sleeping, you don't know it. Awake from your propensity and willingness to sin. Awake and deal with the sin at the door before it enters the room. Awake and deal with the thought in your heart before Satan enters your life. Just deal with it while it's still at its incipient small stages before it gets bigger. Awake, sleeper, and Christ will shine on you. Arise from your sleep. Arise from the dead. And I speak to you by the command of the Lord. Awake from your sleep. For now is high time. When we should awake from our sleep, Paul said in another phrase, it's high time. We are not of the night, but we are of the day. 
those who are alive and those who are vigilant before the Lord. Come on, lift your hands. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray great grace and peace be upon you all. I pray that you would be empowered to please God in everything you do. I ask, Lord, that you would give us the awareness of the intent of sin to cripple us. But you consistently say to us in your word that we must master it. To those to whom your word says we healed ourselves to, it becomes the authority of us. Today we choose to heal ourselves to you. You are our master, not sin. Your word says sin will not have dominion over us. For we are not under law, but we are under grace. Your grace will empower us to have mastery over sin. Thank you, our God. I impart the grace even now to all of your sons listening. Grace to overcome sin. Grace to deny sin. To deny ungodliness. And then to offer offerings in righteousness that please you. May we never give the enemy a foothold, an occasion for acting. Help us to learn from the lesson of Judas. To learn from the lesson of Cain. Not to go the way your word specifically warns us in Jude. Not to follow the way of Cain. Ask in Jesus' name, O oh God, here we are. We ascend the holy mountain of the Lord with clean hands and a pure heart before you, Father. For who can stand in your holy hill? He who has clean hands and a pure heart has not lifted his soul up to vanity. May not, like Lot, our righteous souls be vexed by what we permit. Help us to king, to kill the agags in our lives when you call us to for them not to have mastery over us later. By the power of the blood of Jesus, the name of Christ, and the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we receive empowerment right now to overcome, to live an overcoming life such that when we administrate finances, we do so in righteousness because it's to righteousness that you respond, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen.